0: When you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's ANGI.com. You're listening to Weird Medicine with Dr. Steve on the Riotcast Network. Riotcast.com I've got
1: diphtheria crushing my esophagus. I've got Ebola virus dripping from my nose. It's Weird Medicine, the first and still only uncensored medical show in the history of broadcast radio, now a podcast. I'm Dr. Steve. And this is a show for people who never listen to a medical show on the radio or the internet. If you have a question, you're embarrassed to take your regular medical provider. If you can't find an answer anywhere else, give us a call. 347-766-4323. That's 347 poohead. head If you're listening to us live, the number is 754-227-3647. Follow us on Twitter at Weird Medicine or Lady Diagnosis or DR Scott WM whenever those jackasses show up. <laughs> and visit our website at DrSteve.com for podcasts, medical news, and stuff you can buy, or go to our merchandise store at slash Weird Medicine. Most importantly, we are not your medical providers. Take everything you hear with a grain of salt. Don't act on anything you hear on this show without talking it over with your doctor, nurse practitioner, physician assistant, pharmacist, chiropractor, acupuncturist, yoga master, physical therapist, clinical laboratory scientist, registered dietitian, or whatever. All right, and please don't forget uh, stuff.drsteve.com, stuff.drsteve.com for all your online shopping needs. And um, we've got some, uh, most of the, the, things that we've talked about on this show, uh, we have on uh, uh, stuff.drsteve.com as far as uh, products and healthcare things that you can buy, including my um, peripheral neuropathy uh, cocktail, which, you know, I'm not selling it. I'm just letting you know what worked for me. And I've got uh, some new information about that maybe for next, um, I'm actually have this genetic thing, and apparently it's more common than, than uh, I thought, this weird mutation that causes, wow, uh, peripheral neuropathy, ataxia, general weakness, all the things that your old pal um, has, and um, never learned about this one in medical school, so I'm uh, one of my colleagues uh, turned me on to it, so I'm going to try some things. If it works out, I'll let you know. Anyway, but I mean, I'm fine. It's just a lifestyle thing. Uh, It makes it a little bit harder for me to uh, type 140 words a minute or to, uh, you know, shred my synth man with some uh, uh, meaty synth leads. But anyway, uh, (laughs) uh, don't forget tweakedaudio.com for if you're going to listen to those meaty synth leads. uh, Offer code FLUID will get you 33% off the best earbuds for the money. Um, and the best customer service anywhere. Also, check out Dr. Scott's site at simplyherbals.net. I'm still rocking the weight loss. Um, I'm telling you, Noom is the greatest thing I've ever tried. If you want to get attain your ideal body weight with me, uh, go to noom.drsteve.com. It's m.drsteve.com You get um, two free weeks where you, so you can just try it. If you don't like it, to hell with it. Then just delete it. It's an app, and it's not a diet. It's not a diet. That's the cool thing. It's a psychology app. It actually helps you in other aspects of your life as well. At least it did me. Um, So noom.drsteve.com, two free weeks and 20% off if you decide to do it. You only have to do it for three months. It's not a lifelong thing like uh, Weight Watchers um, and no points and all that BS. So um, it's the only thing I've ever found been successful, and I've tried everything. Um, if you're lazy, like me, um, and you want to control what you're eating at night, uh, try Freshly. They deliver fresh, prepared meals that make eating right super easy. You can use my link to get six dinners for 39 bucks for two weeks. That's uh, 20 bucks off each week. Give it a try and let me know what you think. That's uh, freshly.drsteve.com. And if you want uh, archives of the show, you can go to drsteve.com. There's a link for $30. bucks. i will send you a um Uh, thumb drive uh, 32 gig thumb drive with about 16 gigs of uh uh, content on there um uh, as up to date as when you buy it and um you know sometimes there's some extra crap in there because i forget to delete some things (laughs) so uh or you can go to premium.drsteve.com for a buck 99 uh you can get uh archives for the whole show you just download them yourself you can pick and choose what you want all right very good So I'm gonna fade up this new music bed. Check this out. So most of you who listen to the show know that I am a fan of um, electronic music and synthesizers. (laughs) and uh, uh, Going way back to seeing Rick Wakeman on stage when I was a college student, they were just all oh, that stuff he had and just the technical skill was amazing. And then I was a fan of Keith Emerson, which, by the way, um, if you are likewise a fan of Keith Emerson, you can go to the mug store. I know my wife won't even go in. Okay, so I get it. She'll go with me to Asheville. It's in Asheville, North Carolina, a very cool town. Highly recommended. And uh, she'll go to Asheville with me, and she'll even drive to the Moog store, but she'll sit outside in the car and will not go in. <laughs> it's like, it's not, it, well, anyway. But in there, um, they have some classic synthesizers, and if they still have it, uh, they uh, had Keith Emerson's touring synthesizer. And he had one of the uh, earliest analog preset systems where he could, Uh, patch the thing up have three or four patches then switch between them you know now we have uh, flash memory and um, programmable ROM memory that will uh, memorize patches that we have back then there was no such thing this was an analog synthesizer there's no presets. you just dial stuff in and so uh, he would have to like I said use patch cables and patch each module to uh, through the um, uh, to make a, a pathway for sound to go through and um, uh, and then he had this big giant switch and it would just switch the cable so that the the synthesizer was uh, seeing different routings and that way he could change sounds. Cause I always wondered how he did it because he would do different sounds but he had this big modular Moog synthesizer and I never saw him actually twiddling any knobs except every once in a while he'd hit the filter cutoff to make a cool sound. But anyway, uh, you can touch that if, if you're so minded. You can play Tarkus on it, which is what I did, because that's what kind of a nerd I am. But it was cool to say that I have at least played the first few notes of Tarkas uh, on Keith Emerson's actual synthesizer, on which he played Tarkus many, many times, so it's pretty cool. Anyway, that's in uh, that's on Broadway Street in Asheville, North Carolina. It's cool. If you're in the area, you should go by it. It's pretty cool. Uh, what I'm uh, fiddling with here is a gecko loop sense. My friend Mario in um, in Ireland uh, makes these things. Uh, he is what you call one of them geniuses. And uh, this thing is uh, infinitely programmable little uh, uh, music-making computer. And it has uh, different sensors on the outside. So like if I I can bring up the counterpoint just by placing my finger over one of these sensors, not actually even touching it. Here, listen. Now, I brought a bunch of... uh, I'm just playing one of the programs on this thing. It's got a million of them. And uh, if you're smart, you can do your own. This isn't an ad for him in any way, but check out Gecko Loopsynth or uh, geckologic.com. And he has uh, all kinds of just cool, just fun things. If you've got uh, a friend who is into music and you don't want to spend a crap load of money on them, but you want to get them something you know they don't have, this guy has got the stuff. And um, uh, anyway, I'm just really proud of him uh, uh, being able to make a living doing this. And uh, he uh, used me as voiceover for one of his uh, recent ads, so you can look... uh, for the uh, Gecko Loop Synth version 2. And then there's this thing, weird thing where we're hunting aliens. It's bizarre. It's the goofiest thing you've ever seen, actually. And uh, I didn't do as good a job as I could have if I had kind of had a little better grasp of what he was going for. But it was still fun to do. And uh, because of that, um, because he doesn't pay money uh, for uh, doing things for him, but you get paid in synthesizers, I have... uh, serial number 001 of the uh, Gecko Loop Synth uh, version 2. So anyway, so if you're interested, check that out. Anyway, I just thought it, uh, you guys would uh, find that mildly interesting. All right. Uh, back to medicine. Uh, I have some things I want to talk to you about that are pretty significant. Number one, uh, the vape, uh, vaping industry is taking a big hit right now because uh, there was a, a report of some... Uh, uh long related deaths that were attributed to uh people vaping i I need a lot more information before I can wax eloquent on this so i'm hoping by next show i'll have a full uh uh you know review of the literature on this um I just want to say that, as I have said from day one i am i i've never said that vaping was bad a matter of fact, as a transition from smoking to complete cessation of everything it may be a reasonable uh, alternative however um there there's a lot of I, I don't know what there's not really a word for it dysregulation um some regulation but some not not very good regulation and uh these things are basically medical devices you know that are delivering a a, a or a drug nicotine that's known to be habit forming. And then all these adulterants that are in there, um, uh, different juices and uh, uh, flavorings and stuff like that, that really were not intended to put in our put in our lungs. I mean, what's supposed to go in our lungs is air. Um, uh, so uh, I've always contended that the, I, I can't say they're bad, but I can't recommend it. And I don't know that it's good or at least neutral. It, it doesn't have to be good. It doesn't have to be good for you. We do kind of demand that it's at least neutral, or if it's bad for you, we know what the badness is so that you can choose to do it despite the fact that it's bad. Like cigarettes. We know... Cigarette smoking isn't good for you. As a matter of fact, for a lot of people, not everybody, but a lot of people, uh, cigarette smoking can be harmful. And for a fraction of those people, it can be catastrophically harmful. But you're aware of that. The warning is on the label. It says specifically this stuff can cause cancer, heart disease, increase your risk for stroke. And um, remember, I always talk about our goal is not to not die because we're going to die. But um, I'd like to die on my own terms if I can, and barring that, I'd like to at least re- reduce my risk of dying when I don't want, when I'm not ready. Of course, when am I ever going to be ready? My dad was 86. He said, "Hell, I'm not ready." He, he always hated it when people say, well, he lived a long life. He'd say, shut up. You know, it doesn't seem that long when you're 86 and you're here. That's always people younger than that that say that crap. But, um, but anyway, I digress, as is my want to do. Um, I uh, would like to mitigate my risk of dying in a horrible way. So I'd like for my face not to be uh, dissected away with head and neck cancer. So, you know, I did eventually quit smoking. And I try to be at least aware if I'm uh, uh, eating at the Y that there's no HPV there because I was too old to get the HPV vaccine. Uh, Those sorts of things. Um, You know, I'd prefer not to uh, die of colon cancer or lung cancer. So I get my screening test done. So if I do get it, I can get it uh, um, uh, diagnosed early and get it treated. And uh, so, therefore... Um, I think if you if your goal is to mitigate your risk, you got to quit smoking. I say at the end of every show, if you can do that with um, with a a vape pen uh, th- that you use briefly to get you to uh, quitting, may, it's probably fine. But um, uh, we don't we don't know the long term effects of inhaling these giant clouds of vapor into our lungs. I mean, I see people blowing these things out. It does look kind of cool, except the a lot of the folks that are doing it are, have, are a bit affectatious. And so, you know, uh, you know, my kids and I kind of make fun of them. You know, I'm, uh, I'm going to take a toot off my vape pen, man. And it looks like a clarinet with all these things coming off of it. And this giant, you know, room-filling cloud. Uh, I, I, as an ex smoker, I know that feels good when you, when you do that, there's something about that, uh, getting that big old drag of, of smoke and taking it deep into your lungs and blowing it back out again. There was something, I mean, I've, you know, I'm not stupid. I'm, I'm probably in some things I am, but I'm relatively educated. And yet even after I had my MD, I was smoking like a fool and, uh, uh, you know, smoking two on before I hit the showers, I had burn marks on the head of my penis from flicking cigarettes between my legs, sitting on the pot in the morning, you know, uh, because if you do that an infinite number of times, well, if you do it an infinite number of times, you'll have an infinite number of burns on your dick. But if you do it, you know, um, uh, every day, day in, day out. And so let me see how many drags you get off a of smoke I don't know, 20 or 30, and so that's 60 every day, 60 times 365, whatever that is, you're going to burn your dick every once in a while. Let's ask Alexa what that is. I'm, I'm curious. Um, Alexa, what is 60 times 365? 60
0: times 365
1: is 21,900. Yeah, so you, you flick 21,000 times, between your legs, there's going to be an ember that's not going to go where you want it to. And uh, so and that's always fun to explain. No, honey, it's not herpes. It's a cigarette. Burn. <laughs> so Just stop it. Just stop it. Seriously. Um, I, I think that was either how Anthony or Jim Norton quit. Um, uh, one of them said to the other one, oh, just why don't you just quit? And then that was enough to make him quit. There's a study that shows if. Physicians will just uh, at, well, all providers doesn't have to just be a physician uh, will tell their patients to quit smoking. Five percent of them will do it just based on that. That's ninety five percent won't. So it's not a very effective uh, uh, technique, but it doesn't cost anything either. Well, it costs the office visit, but you were paying for that anyway. So um, definitely, um, let's quit smoking. And you know what? Let's quit vaping too. <clears throat> I'm not, you know, and they said that the risk is increased and people are dabbing. Does that mean that these, uh, cannabis vape pens are also an issue? Because now that breaks my heart. I got to tell you. So I hope that that's not the case. I'm hoping it's, um, that they'll find out it's just the juice that they use in the nicotine vape pens and not the, uh, cannabis or CBD vape pens, but, uh, the jury's still out on that. So I'll get you some more information on that next time. Now, um, this next thing I want to talk to you about is how medical journalism sucks, for the most part. Not always, but it sucks pretty bad. And uh, some of the things I read are just this clickbait. And um, uh, so this is one of those. And uh, it's not exactly clickbait because there is something here, but the way that it's sensationalized and misreported in the uh, uh, in the in the journalistic literature is mind-boggling. So what I'd like to do is just read you this and uh and then I'll just uh, express my horror <laughs> at some of the things that are said. So um here we go. This is from uh, the Sun and it says sweet and sour just two diet cokes a day increases your risk of deadly heart attack or stroke by 50%. That is terrifying fifty percent well I have to stop drinking them right now. Uh, okay, so then they have a sub headline. Just two diet drinks a day raises the risk of dying young by a quarter. A major study revealed. Oh, no wait a minute. They just said in the headline two diet cokes a day increases your risk of deadly heart attack or stroke by fifty percent. Then the next line it says just two diet drinks a day raises the risk of dying young by a quarter, a major study reveals. Well, maybe there's a difference between all, the whole population and the young population, but they don't say that. So this sucks already. This uh, this is I got this far into it, one sentence in, and I realized uh, there was some malarkey going on. It says lovers of Diet Coke and Pepsi Max. Oh, see, now they had to use the brand names because there's lots of other diet drinks out there, not just Coke and Pepsi. See their chances of being killed by a heart attack or stroke rocket by more than half compared to those who avoid this stuff. Now now they have a picture of of what looks like a soda. Can't tell if it's diet soda or not. My microscopic... um, Uh, gas spectroscopy uh, vision is uh, not functioning today. It says, two fizzy drinks a day, even if they are diet versions, increases your risk of dying young by a quarter, experts have warned. Okay, so we're going back and forth between this 25% and 50% number. And then experts said the important, and they put important in quotes, European findings involving more than 450,000 people were quote-unquote, concerning. Well, no shit. And then they put the period outside the uh, quotation mark, which drives me crazy as a journalism major. Okay, maybe that's a European thing. Uh, they urged Brits to ditch soft drinks and switch to water. I, no problem with that. No problem with that whatsoever. The World Health Organization research found the dangers from guzzling. Of course, see, that's the, you have to conjure up this image of people guzzling Uh, artificially sweetened pop, not just, uh, you know, sipping it or drinking it, but they have to be guzzling it. We're up to three times greater than regular sugary drinks. Well, now we're talking 300 percent of something. So they're throwing out all these times things and none of this really makes any sense. Uh, So uh, now it says, okay, so the next headline is diet drinks worse. It suggests switching to sugar-free products such as Diet Pepsi or LukaZade Zero. What the hell is that? Uh, could be equally bad for health, if not Motion worse.
0: detected at Uh-oh. the front door. Oh, well,
1: thank you, Alexa. Let's just take a look and see, see what we can see. I like those commercials where they go, hey, you better not. You better not do it. Put it down, buddy. Uh, let's see. This is the problem is it takes so long to get to it. That they're already gone. <laughs> okay, well, thank you very much. Um, okay, uh, it suggests s- switching to sugar-free products such as Diet Pepsi or Leucozade Zero could be equally bad for health, if not worse. study was carried out by the International Agency for Research on Cancer in France, which is a part of the WHO. Now, first thing um, – uh, the Agency for Research on Cancer. This now I, it starts to make me wonder if they were looking for something else, but this study, because we've talked about this on the show, a good study is one that has a defined endpoint, not a fishing expedition where you go and you say, "Well, let's um, let's uh, look at people who use a spartame." and people who don't. And then let's just see what we see. So then you look at heart disease, you look at stroke, you look at cancer, prostate uh, enlargement, sexual dysfunction, and then you find something in there because you're likely to find something. It may even be statistically significant. But then you have to then control that study. You have to do it again, controlling just for those variables so that you've got A cohort of people that are matched with a cohort of uh, another cohort of people so that the only variable is that one thing to the best of your ability. I know with people, that's really hard to do. And then you look and you do a prospective trial where you're watching them over time, not retrospective, where you're looking at them in the past, where the information you have may not be as accurate as you want it to be. And you have to follow these people. These are very expensive things to do because how long do you have to do it to get an effect? Five years? Ten years? Well, hell. You know, if I started a study today and I had to follow it out for 15 years, I most likely would be dead. Certainly I'd be retired before the study was done. So these things are often hard to do. But that's how you have to do it to really be able to say these things. So uh, when I see that it was carried out by the International Agency for Research on Cancer – I'm wondering if this was really a cancer study, and they just happened to find this. And if that's the case, then uh, that makes all of this kind of suspect. Uh, even if they matched their controls, they were probably matching them for cancer, not for uh, heart attack and stroke. But I'm, I'm just throwing that out. We're going to find out in a minute because I've got the original article, at least the abstract. Uh, lead researcher, Dr. Neil Murphy. Now, let me see if that's, this is the same one. Nope, that's a different effing study. See, and that's the other thing, is they don't give a link to the original study in these articles, and that drives me crazy. So uh, what I'm probably going to do is we'll have a little dead air while I try to find the actual study, because I pulled one up and I thought I had it, but this is actually something different. Uh, Lead researcher Dr. Neil Murphy said the striking observation in our study was that we found positive associations for both sugar-sweetened and artificially sweetened soft drinks with the risk of all-caused deaths. So, uh, but wait a minute. This article said uh, two Diet Cokes a day increases your risk. And now they're saying, well, it's really, it's all soda, right? So the contradictions in this article now, there may not be contradictions in the original study, although there may be. Not every scientific study that's published is good. Um, or rigorous but uh, certainly this article is confusing af Um, so and then he says it would probably be prudent to limit the consumption of all soft drinks and replace with a healthier alternative such as water now i can i can see the soft drink in industry going ballistic over this particularly if as i said this was a fishing expedition and they haven't done the rigorous prospective uh you know, uh, cohort trial. Um, all right, so here we go. Now, it's a nice long study. The research tracked participants for 16 years, including BRITs, and is the largest study of its kind. I like that. It found chances of early death went up by 8% for those who consumed sugary drinks twice daily. So now we're getting to the difference between relative risk and absolute risk, because that but so if that's if that's a fifty percent increase, right? Um, then uh, so uh, let me see. So that would be okay if it was four; it'd be a hundred percent increase to go to eight. So like six. Plus three is nine, so it's somewhat less than 6%. So uh, what they're implying by that is the risk of early death was around 6%, and it went up to 8%, which also means 92% of people who drank all kinds of soda didn't have a problem. So uh, we, if we can get the original data, and I'll try to do that. I'll request the full text. Uh, we may be able to calculate a number needed to harm. Uh, How many people have to drink two sodas a day for there to be one extra heart attack or stroke? It might be kind of interesting now. Oh, but for those glugging two glasses, goddamn you guys, (laughs) you know, they're first they're guzzling. Now they're glugging it. You just can't say that they're consuming it or they're drinking it. They have to have this image of this guy, you know, just come on. Okay, for for those glugging two glasses of Diet Pop each day, the risk went up by 26%. Now it's 26%. Okay, come on. This group also saw their chance of being killed by cardiovascular disease rise by 52%. So they're... um, so they're not saying 52% of people who were drinking these died. They're saying their their risk uh, increased by 50%, which it was already low. So if someone's risk is 4% and it goes up by 50%, then that would be 6%. Um, uh, still, you want to mitigate your risk. I don't want to take any chances with that. You know, if I can decrease my risk by two absolute percentage points. I'm cool with that because I'm a little bit at risk now being 63 now with um, a little uh, high blood pressure that I'm having to treat and all that kind of stuff. At least I don't smoke. And by the way, quit smoking, please. Thank you. Uh, take home message. This is the next headline in this or subheading. Drink water. The damning findings. Oh, now the findings are damning published in JAMA internal medicine with excellent journal. Coincide with the largest gathering of heart experts in the world. Speaking from the European Society of Cardiology Congress in Paris, Professor uh, Mitchell Elkind, incoming president of the American Heart Association, urged people to ditch soft drinks. He said, this study is important. Now, look. Mitch's opinion matters to me, no question about that. If I mean, we have to trust some experts at some point. There are concerns about both sugar-sweetened beverage and so-called diet beverages, okay?
0: Today's episode is brought to you by Angie. When you Angie that download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's a N G I.com.
1: All right. Let me just stop here for a second. So what is it? If it's sugar. So if I eat an equivalent amount of grapes, is that a problem? And people go, Oh no, that's ridiculous. Well then what is it? What is it in the, these diet sodas? Is it the carbonation? Is it um uh some other ingredient like the you know the the caramel coloring that's doing this? I mean really what is it? If there's an association with soft drinks in general, not just diet drinks, then what the F is causing this? Because we know look, we know sugar's the enemy, but you know, if I eat an equivalent amount of apples, um, you know, does that make sense? This is very strange to me. Very strange indeed. And uh, I, I really would want an answer to this. I could even accept that drinking sodas and diet sodas uh, uh, could increase your risk somewhat. So that the risk to the individual would be low, but the risk to society would be large. And we need to uh, limit limit it or at least encourage people to limit it. I'm a libertarian, so I think, you know, just tell people what the problems are and let them make the choice for themselves. But, um, uh, but I would really want to know what the mechanism is. For example, uh, grapes. Don't give grapes to your dogs. You know why? It can cause renal failure. I, hell, I had a dog in college— that would eat grapes off the vine, and he was fine. I went on Quora and asked this question, you know, is it really – because I couldn't really find a, a, a good answer anywhere – And I just got Lambus, everyone knows that grapes are highly toxic to dogs, and you're playing Russian roulette with your dogs. And it's like, no, you know, I came on here looking to see if anybody knew what the mechanism was, because that drives me crazy. Grapes are awesome. They seem very benign. They're just kind of water with some sort of gel and a skin around it. What the hell? Could cause uh, dogs to get renal failure after just eating one or two grapes, And how is it that all of my dogs I've always tossed them grapes, and they've always been fine? So it's not all dogs, obviously, and not all grapes. And uh, so once I find out about it, I never, my dogs will never see a grape again unless they find one in the wild and they eat it, and I don't have any control over it. But you know so I mean I'm not a, a lunatic. But um, it is uh, very interesting to me. What is that? And no one seems to know the answer to that. Matter of fact, the Merck veterinary manual, which a, at least one veterinarian came on there and gave me some real information, says that this has never been um, uh, confirmed experimentally. So there's no experimental model for uh, uh, grape and raisin toxicity in dogs. But yet it's widely, quote-unquote, known to be a fact, which, hell, I didn't know it. But anyway, um, so I, I am very concerned about the mechanism of this. Because, look, if it's the caramel coloring, we can fix that. Just don't put it in there. And then we can have our drinks and our diet drinks. But to assume it's the sugar or the aspartame is asinine, um, what you have to do, if you, if you really want to know if it's aspartame, uh, then we'll, what you have to do is you give people aspartame pills and you you give another group um, placebo pills and uh, you control for everything else. Their diet's the same. Smoking history's the same. obesity's the same. Cholesterol. Everything's the same. Uh, If you've got somebody over here with hypertension that's taken Losartan and they're well-controlled, you've got to have somebody in the other group the same way to the best of your ability to get it so that the statistical significance will actually mean something. And then now you can say something. So at the end of that, if there's a statistically significant difference and the only difference was you gave this group uh, oral aspartame and this group a placebo, then you can say that that effect is real more cancer more heart disease more stroke i am just mind boggled by this that that it's soft drinks but not wine uh, not milk that has you know sugar in it Uh, maybe not as much Um, i'm not an expert on that but i can by god find out by next show Um, You know, and uh, juices and stuff like that, do they do it too? What if you drink um, two glasses of orange juice every day? I would say that there's got to be an equivalent amount of sugar in that. Maybe Alexa knows. Let's ask her if she knows. I know everybody has. I'm going to change her name eventually uh, to something that um, I'll change it to Echo so that you all um, who have an Amazon uh, Alexa at home don't go crazy every time I do this. Alexa? How much sugar is in an orange?
0: One orange has 12 grams of sugar. Other customers have also asked, how much sugar is in an apple? Would you like to know the answer?
1: Yes, I would.
0: One apple has 19 grams of sugar.
1: Wow, that's interesting. More sugar in the apple. Alexa, how much sugar is in 12 ounces of Coke?
0: 12 ounces of Coke has 33.8 grams okay. of sugar.
1: so it's more. So, so two apples is um, right around the same as a Coke. So for me to uh, to uh, get too freaked out about that, I'd have to eat four apples a day to be an equivalent of drinking two. And I'm just using Coke because, you know, that's sort of the gold standard. Um, sorry to the Pepsi drinkers. So if you, um, ate four apples a day, is that going to give you the same risk as drinking two glasses of Coke? Well, you could say, well, they, you know, you get the fiber and all that kind of stuff. Okay. Well, how about apple juice then? You know, same volume, same amount of fiber, zero. Um, will that do the same? This bothers me. This is going to drive me Crazy. I gotta tell you because this doesn't make sense to me. Things don't have to make sense, but they have to make some sense, right? Uh, I mean, like it, it didn't make sense that a bacterium caused stomach ulcers, um, just because the stomach is so it's such a toxic environment. How could a bacterium survive in there? But yet, yeah, there's Helicobacter pylori is right there, and it causes stomach ulcers, and every gastroenterologist not only agrees with that now, but they'll treat people for that if they find it. So something that didn't make sense before, uh, it doesn't really make sense to give people with congestive heart failure beta blockers because one of the problems with congestive heart failure is the heart isn't beating hard enough, and yet a beta blocker kind of uh, makes the heart not beat as hard. It's one of the things that they do. Uh, At least that's sort of the classical notion about it. And so... Um, how does it make sense that it's now malpractice not to give people beta blockers if they're on congestive if they have congestive heart failure because they found that people live longer if they're placed on a regimen that includes a beta blocker. So you know things don't have to make sense, but that one ultimately you can dope out the physiology of why beta blockers uh make make sense in congestive heart failure, one of the things makes the heart work less hard. So if you've got a heart that isn't working as hard, it's uh, probably going to live longer, even if it's somewhat damaged. So a um, uh, very simplistic viewpoint, but, you know, you can wrap your head around that. I have trouble wrapping my head around this, what the possible mechanism could be. So, all right. Um, okay. Okay. Uh, uh okay so not so sweet there here's the here's the last headline of this previous research suggests sweeteners may affect blood vessel health dementia risk and also trigger weight gain well certainly the last one i can i can particularly if you're just glugging large amounts of uh, of sweetened drinks i mean that come on we we can at least all agree that's nuts right um how how many calories is in that um Alexa, how many calories is in twelve ounces of Coca-Cola?
0: Twelve ounces of Coke has one hundred thirty-four calories.
1: Okay, so if you are drinking eight of those a day, you are adding another what thousand calories to your uh, to your diet? And that's that's twelve ounce cans. I see people with these, you know, sixty-four. <laughs> things and they're just down on them um so uh you know i think we can all agree that's probably not good for us in any measure even if it was apple juice you wouldn't want to uh, drink that much or take in that much extra sugar and calories with the spikes in your um uh, in your uh, insulin Which, again, apple probably won't do that as much because you've got to digest that apple to get all of that sugar. Whereas if you're taking a Coke, you're going to get that big spike in insulin. I could could wrap my head around that That could be uh, part of the reason why uh, uh, drinks are more uh, uh, risky than eating the apples. Although then, okay, so then we also have to say the same thing for juice or any other drink that has sugar in it including uh, coffee and all that stuff. Um, oh, and sweet tea, good Lord. If you have, are not from the South and you've never had Southern sweet tea, the, the amount of sugar that is in that is insane. It's got to be more than, um, uh, than sodas. And if it touches my lips, I have to spit it out. I can't even swallow it. It just sort of coats my mouth with this awful, just sickening coating. Can't do it. And um, so, but you, you should at least try it one time if you come down here and you can see why there's so much obesity and diabetes south of the uh, Mason Dixon line. It's that and gravy and biscuits. Um, I, I see a, when I moved here back from Vermont, so I, my first. Uh, Practice, I left. uh, I've always lived in the South, except for a few years in my youth. Um, But then I first practiced in Vermont. And when I came back to Tennessee three years later, with my tail between my legs, by the way, um, I noticed that um, I saw a lot more fatty liver and a lot more obesity, a lot more diabetes down here. And I posited it to the Appalachian diet because I I live in the foothills of Appalachia and part of that is gravy and biscuits which if you've never had that now that you have to try get it at a good place even Cracker Barrel pretty darn good Um, but if you can go find an old country restaurant where they've been making this stuff forever you get good old gravy biscuits with the white gravy sausage gravy it's insanely great And it will sit on your stomach all day long. And if you're, (laughs) well, anyway, uh, the the thing about it is, what's a biscuit made of? It's fat and flour and some leavening and milk, right? And then, um, or buttermilk. And gravy is fat and flour and milk and seasoning. So when you have gravy biscuits... You're really taking an uncooked biscuit and pouring it all over the top of a cooked biscuit. That's basically what it is. And uh, and then you're throwing chunks of delightful sausage in there, breakfast sausage. And it is um, it's an amazing thing, but I know people that eat it day in and day out and then guzzle down, uh, to use the son's words, um, uh, you know, 32-ounce sweet teas along with it, and then wonder why their health fails uh, relatively early in life. So, so we are what we eat. There's no question about that. So, uh, so yes, previous research suggests that sweeteners, and they're, they're including sugar in that, may affect blood vessel health. That's coming from the spike in insulin. Uh, that causes some hardening of the arteries. Dementia risk, interesting um, uh, one there. And then also, and trigger weight gain, of course. And then one theory is it affects the body's sugar levels and key hormones such as insulin. Well, yeah, that's not even a, it's not a theory, it's a hypothesis and it's pretty well verified. Um, But others claim unhealthy adults are more likely to turn to diet drinks, which may explain the findings. Now, I used to have this problem with, Uh, Diet drinks causing weight gain. So we kept hearing that over and over and over again. And I'm like, they have no calories. How can that be? Someone finally uh, put forth a hypothesis that does make sense to me, that uh, when you drink a diet drink, the taste buds taste sweet and the body gears up. Uh, because there are all these signaling pathways in the body, and the body starts to gear up to store all these calories that it's detecting that we're taking in. And when we don't do it, it's almost like it gets pissed and throws a tantrum, and start, you start craving uh, calories. So drinking the diet drink revs the body up, waiting for calories when it doesn't get it. It starts signaling to the brain, we got to have those calories. And now you go out and you eat more than you would have had you not done the diet drink. So um, I... uh, I like diet drinks and for a weird reason because, to me, they taste really bitter, and I like bitter. Th- I'm a weirdo. I'm one of those people, if you ever did the genetics uh, test in school where you could taste the bitter thing or you couldn't taste it, you either taste it or you can't. You can you can trace that gene through your family. It's kind of a fun uh, science experiment for, like, uh, middle school or high school uh, genetics class. Um so, uh, so it, it tastes bitter to me and it's a little bit astringent because I can't stand sugar and stuff. Uh, that's, that's just, you know, water consistency. It drives me crazy. So I, that's why I do it. And it, the when I go to the movies, the one time that I ever have like a diet soda, cause I, I don't drink, I never drink diet drinks and I don't drink sodas at all, um, uh, but I will if I go to the movies because I got that big machine that you can do all the different flavors. So I do the diet and I do diet Coke and then I add raspberry. And that raspberry wafts up and it smells like esters that I used in my chemistry lab when I was in organic chemistry before I went to medical school. And uh, that chemically smell is very nostalgic for me. And that's why, you know, so I'm a weirdo. Um Uh, So I would not expect anybody else to have the same motivation for drinking diet drinks that I do. Also, if you spill them, you clean it up. There's no sticky residue, unlike uh, uh, sugary drinks. So anyway, uh, others claim unhealthy adults are more likely to turn to diet drinks. I think there is some validity to that, that if you've already got a problem and you figure, well, I can at least cut a couple of calories by getting rid of my regular drinks and, and drinking diet drinks. Uh, I think that's true. And then the other thing where the diet drinks actually stimulate the hunger reflex, causes you to eat more. That, I think, is something real. Uh, Professor Jeremy Pearson, associate medical director of the British Heart Foundation, said, this new research shows that people who regularly drink sweetened soft drinks have a slightly higher overall risk of dying as a result of heart and circulatory diseases. Thank you for at least putting some context to this and some sanity yeah it's a slight increase in risk uh if you look at this though wait a minute it says just two diet cokes a day increases your risk of deadly heart attack or stroke by 50 percent um so i'm going to try to get the original uh study on this uh Uh, Oh, oh, of course. Okay, wait, uh, I have one more thing to read to you. Uh, The last line of the article, I guess they wanted to be, quote unquote, fair and balanced, says Gavin Partington, director general at British Soft Drinks Association, said, quote, soft drinks are safe to consume as part of a balanced diet. So there you go. That's, you know, they didn't give him any chance to provide any data or anything. They just, you know, uh, and, uh, you know, obviously they're saying, well, this guy's full of shit. So um, I have this association between soft drink consumption and mortality in 10 European countries. I don't see that guy that, oh, there's a million researchers in this. That may be why they found one of these people to speak. Neil Murphy, there he is. Okay, he's a Ph.D., so uh, as a matter of fact, all of these people are PhDs. There's a couple of MDs in there, but this is, um, you know, a, a um, doctor of philosophy driven study, it appears. And that's fine. There's Nothing wrong with that. They are perfectly capable of doing an adequate study. Um, and I do see a scattering of MDs in here, but there's really, it looks like about 100 authors in this. Um, so, uh, So this is the study. And the question is, is regular consumption of soft drinks associated with a greater risk of all-cause and cause-specific mortality? So that's, um, they're positing this question and their findings. And I'll just uh, give you their general findings. In this population-based cohort study of 451,743 individuals from 10 countries in Europe, greater consumption of total sugar-sweetened and artificially sweetened soft drinks. So they're lumping it all together. Um, was associated with a higher risk of all-cause mortality. Uh, consumption of artificially sweetened soft drinks was positively associated with deaths from circulatory diseases, and sugar-sweetened soft drinks were associated with deaths from digestive diseases. Now, isn't that interesting? So they did actually parse those things. That wasn't mentioned in the other thing, that um, GI diseases were more often associated with people with sugar-sweetened soft drinks than artificially sweetened. And... Um, so uh, we will look at this further. I want to pull the, the whole study and look at it. Um, uh, so I'm, for me, you know, selfishly, I'm in pretty good shape uh, because I do not uh, drink these things. And, uh, oh, so these risks, okay, yeah, it's like 1.08 compared to 1.0. Uh, with the control group so i 'm i 'm unimpressed by this, but yeah it bears further investigation it 's a big study we can 't really ignore it and i 'm not saying the stuff is safe okay i 'm just saying i don 't understand the mechanism but uh, i i, I don 't disagree with we shouldn 't be going nuts with uh, soft drinks, and if you 're drinking twenty of them a day, just cut the shit I, I need to add that to the thing at the end all right um. Let's answer some questions. Whoops. Oh. Advice from some asshole on the radio. Oh, damn it. Let me try that again. Number one thing don't take advice from some asshole on the radio. All right. Thank you, my friend. Well, well, of course. What? Why do I always sneeze if I'm looking at the sun? I mean, is that just the designer's way of making me stop looking at the sun, or is there something else behind it that kind of triggers that? See ya. Yeah, that's called the photic sneeze reflex. And um, (laughs) and there's a hilarious, uh, physicians try to be funny. Um, Colloquially, it's called sun sneezing, but it's also called autosomal compelling, helio outburst syndrome, or achoo. Get it? <laughs> Oops. Wrong, wrong drops. All right. Um, but it's uh, also known as the photic sneeze reflex. And uh, you'll see this uh, when people are exposed to numerous stimuli, um, bright lights, um, uh, I, I I know there have been people that had it when they get their eyeballs injected. So any kind of stimulus around there can cause this. Uh, Wikipedia says uh, it affects 18 to 35 percent of the world's population. That seems high to me, but uh, the exact mechanism isn't well understood. It is autosomal um, dominant, meaning that if uh, you have an unaffected parent and an affected parent, their kids, 50% of them will be at risk for having this. Um, Whereas if it's uh, autosomal recessive, then both the parents have to have the gene. And then for the kid to have it, they have to, uh, uh, the kid has to get both of the genes. Okay. So like blue eyes. So blue eyes, you have, if you have a brown haired, parent and another or a brown-eyed parent, another brown-eyed parent, but they have, they both have the brown-blue gene. You know, they've got one brown gene, one blue gene, and blue is recessive. Then when they mate, um, you know, if they had a perfectly um, statistically accurate bunch of kids, one of their kids would be blue-blue, and so they'd have blue eyes. Three of their kids would have brown eyes, and um, one of them would be uh, brown brown, and two would be brown blue. Did I did I did that in my head? So I think that's right. Anyway, um, <clears throat> so that's autosomal recessive. But on autosomal dominant, if they have if let's just say uh, blue eyes was autosomal autosomal dominant, if the parent was uh, brown blue, they'd have blue eyes, and the kids would be uh, you know. Um, uh, Brown, white, let's say the parent has red eyes. So the other parent is red, red. So uh, half the kids would be red, brown, and so they would have red eyes, and the other half would be red, blue, and they would have uh, blue eyes. So half of their kids would have blue eyes. Um, That's a weird example because, you know, we all know, I know you all know from listening to the show that blue eyes is recessive, but I'm just using that as an example in some alien planet where blue eyes is autosomal dominant. Anyway, so that's photic sneezing. Uh, not a whole lot you can do about it. Um, don't look in the. Sun. How about how about not looking in the sun? How about how about that? That that work for you? Okay, thanks. But yeah, it's a real deal. Um, okay, I've got about a minute. I can do this one. I think.
0: I was watching. Um, I watched a lot of detective and true crime shows on TV, sure. and I saw one the other day that it was a woman who had been uh, murdered, and they found uh, drips of blood in the bathroom and in the bedding, and I forgot how I forgot how she died. She may have been strangled, but um, I, they, they tested the blood and they said it was menstrual blood, and I was just
1: wondering how do they, how can they tell? Oh, that's easy. Okay. Good. I'm glad this is easy because I have 33 seconds to go. Um, You look at it under a microscope, and if you see endometrial cells, in other words, cells from the lining of the uterus, because remember, women who are having their period aren't bleeding. They're sloughing off a layer of tissue. You see tissue. If it's blood, you just see blood cells. So that's it. All right. Well, thanks for joining us, uh, us. What am I talking about? Thanks for joining me. Uh, can't forget Rob Sprantz, Bob Kelly, Greg Hughes, Anthony Cumia, Jim Norton, Travis Teft, Lewis Johnson, Paul Ofcharski, Eric Nagel, Roland Campos, Sam Roberts, Pat Duffy, Dennis Falcone, Ron Bennington, and Fez Watley, whose early support of this show has never gone unappreciated. Listen to our SiriusXM show on the Faction Talk channel, SiriusXM channel 103, Saturdays at 8 p.m. unless we're preempted. Uh, Sundays at 5 p.m. where we're never preempted, On Demand, which is the best, and other times at Jim McClure's pleasure. Many thanks to our listeners whose voicemail and topic ideas make this job very easy. Go to our website at drsteve.com for schedules and podcasts and other crap. Until next time, check your stupid nuts for lumps. Quit smoking, get off your asses, and get some exercise. We'll see you in one week for the next edition of Weird Mets.